we've been talking about growing up. We've gone through and we will continue to go through Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, but don't, we're going to save time this morning and don't turn there. I just want to summarize some things. We've talked about a lot of things through those chap verses about growing up, but that's really what it's all about. And as I was praying just now, something came to me in, in Romans chapter 8, which is my favorite chapter. It says, um, it talks about uh, for those who are, uh, who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And then it talks later on about we're the children of God. Those are two different Greek words. The Greek word where it says you are led by the Spirit, you are a son of God, is the Greek word huios, which means a maturing young man. But later on when it says the Spirit bears witness us with your children of God is a word technon, which is a generic general term for being a child of somebody. So there's a distinction that's drawn there that as we grow and mature, there's a, there's a distinction drawn between being a child of God and being a, a, a maturing child. And God's will for us is to mature, and we see that again in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about, and the verse we've been looking at is, no longer be children, and then it describes what a child is like, being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the deceitfulness and trickery of men. We talked about the fact that one of the marks of a child is that they're easily distracted, they're easily pulled off course. So you send them to the room with instructors to clean their room up and you come back an hour later and they're still playing with their Legos as they went to put them away because they got, not because they're bad, not because they're rebellious, they just got interested in something that they were work. the thing they were working on, they became interested in and forgot what their assignment was. And in life, I'm sure you have found as a Christian that circumstances have come your way and that their purpose is to distract you from what God is doing in your life, even to distract you and pull you away from Him Himself. Going back to the principle we talked about when I came up to greet you, that God, God's main desire for you is to be in His presence. In His presence, you'll get direction, and your presence, you'll get his, you, in His presence, you'll get in His presence, you'll get everything. But without His presence, you can't get anything. We may talk a little bit about that later on. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 15. He says, "Apart from Me, you can do nothing." Not, you know, you need me to get the job done, but apart from me, you can do a good, good effort. And he says, no, it's all or nothing. It doesn't count at all if you try to do it apart from me. And there are many things that have been done for God in God's name that were not done in him. And when the final day of reckoning comes, they will count for nothing. We've seen that. And we'll, we'll look in review what Jesus said in, in, John chap, in Matthew chapter 7. He said, in that day, many of you come to me and say, many, it says, not a few, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So you can't measure where you are by God by what's happening through you. Because they were performing miracles. They were casting out demons. But the Bible says even Satan can be deceptive because he can appear as an angel of light. Understand that he can deal in the supernatural. So just because somebody's performing miracles does not mean it's God. That's why we have to have, you have to know God. See, the, Moses, uh, um, Psalm 103, verse, I think it's 7, says, Israel knew his acts, Moses knew his ways. In other words, Israel knew his deeds. And we'll see that this morning. They knew his deeds, but they didn't know what he was like. Satan can duplicate God's deeds. And that's how they were deceived. Many will be deceived because, and the Bible talks about in the last day, many will fall away. Many will be deceived. Many will be pulled away. And God has impressed it in my heart that that's not to be this church. My responsibility is to feed you and train you and teach you so that as that comes, you will not be pulled away. 
but it requires an awakening to realize it's possible. If it were not possible, God would not warn us that it's not only possible. He knows that he's already looked ahead in time and knows it will happen. But it's up to us whether we're part of that or not. And my, will, my desire, my purpose, my assignment is that, that we not be part of that. I can't take, speak for other churches. That's their pastor's responsibility. And a few weeks ago, as I was meditating about some of these scriptures and some things in my own life that God was dealing with me about, I really felt the Holy Spirit impress on me that there are many of you right now going through very difficult times. There's challenges that have come across your life. There's pressures upon you. And in many cases, it's, not, it's more than one. And they probably have, in some of your cases, they've stacked up to the level you can't. I can't handle this anymore. And you're right, you can't. God doesn't want you to handle it by yourself. He wants, you, he wants to handle it for you, with you. Not for you. He wants to handle it with you. So turn with me to James chapter 1. So we've seen that one of the marks of, an, of, of immaturity, or, and by the way, immaturity is not an insult. It just means I need to grow in that area. One of the signs that I need to grow in an area is that I'm easily moved from what God's will, word says or what God's will is. So we see in James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We've talked about that before. And that's what's going on in our lives today. Many of you are facing various trials, numerous trials. Various not only means more than one, it means from different sources, different directions. We're not talking about where the trials come from. In many cases, you caused it. In some cases, it was just the devil. But God wants to use those trials, and here's how he wants to use them. Count it all joy. See, that's the first step, and we're not going to dwell on that. But you choose how you respond to a trial. It's within your decision. See, the, nobody... Stop here a second. No one makes you feel happy, and no one makes you feel sad. Now, don't look to your left or right, but your spouse doesn't make you happy, and your spouse doesn't make you sad. Not only do no, can no person make you feel a certain way... No circumstance makes you feel good or bad, happy or sad. Well, what does? Your choice of what you think about it. Your choice. See, whatever you hear, whatever you see, is simply information that's come to you. Your mind decides how to interpret that in terms of what that's going to mean for you. Our minds are like computers. So we'll take us the old... old booklet that we used to have as kids, you know. I don't know if I had, yeah, I think maybe I did. I know our children had them, where it's called Connect the Dots, where you open it up and there's a partial picture of a duck, but it'll be some little saying at the bottom, and there's numbers up in there, and they'll kind of help you with one or two of the lines, and you've got to go through with a pencil or pen, and you've got to go one, two, three, four, five, six. Why? Because our mind is designed in such a way that it has to form meaning out of whatever we see or hear. It has to find out what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And God made this computer to work that way, but only in submission to His will. The problem is when I do that, and we're going to see an example of that in a minute. The problem is when I do that, when God just says, trust me. Doesn't Proverbs 3, 5 say, 4, 5, say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own computer? Don't try to figure out, just trust me. Now, he's given us this so we can figure out to balance the checkbook. We won't go there. He's figured this out because there's things he's just given us to do and says, now you go do them. So this computer is designed to help us to do that. But this computer was never given us to help us to figure out God. All God wants us to do is trust him, not figure him out. Because you can't. 
Not only that, can you cannot figure him out. You can't figure out what he's doing. He just wants you to trust him and follow him through it. And so, so, uh, so our mind tries to form meaning. So when you see something or hear something, then we interpret what that going to, our mind immediately tries to kick in and say, what's that going to mean for me? And we can project it out for weeks and days and months and years. So you get some kind of, you know, you hear news, as I've shared this before with you, that, you know, they're going to be laying some people off or, you know, the economy's going down or the jobless rates are going down. And your mind can begin to kick in and figure out what that means for you. First of all, I'll be one of the first to lay off. If I'm laid off, that means I won't be able to make my mortgage payment next month. So in two months, I'm going to lose my house. I lose my house, we'll be out in the street. What are we going to do? My kids will be mad at me. What kind of witnesses is it in your mind? Just, if you just let it run, we'll form all kinds of pictures because it's connecting all kinds of dots. And you've done that to yourself. And then you get emotions and feelings. Fear begins to grip you. So people don't cause you to feel discouraged or bad or circumstances. You choose how you respond to the circumstances. And that's so important because that's part of the growing and maturing process. God has given you dominion. Not over, all, not over the circumstances. He's given you dominion over how you handle those circumstances. And how you choose to handle those will determine what God's able to do to help you. Because if you let your mouth start running with the pictures you let your, mouth form, your mind form, and you start declaring those things with your mouth, so you're now believing in your heart and declaring with your mouth, that's how you got saved. That's how faith works. You believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that you're going to get fired. Guess what? You are setting in motion a spiritual law. You are empowering demons to work on your behalf. You are. They can't do it without your authority. But we give it to them all too easily. The Bible doesn't say be wary of Satan and of his power. It says not to be ignorant of his devices. If he were so powerful, he wouldn't need devices. Think about that. If he were so powerful... Now, before you're saved, he had a power over you because you were in his domain. But Colossians 1.13 says, when you were saved, you were transferred out of his dominion, out of the rule, reign and influence of his kingdom and into the kingdom of, the son, of his beloved son. So he does not have authority over you unless he talks you into exercising the authority God gave you over him to use it against yourself. And he's good at that. He has to use his devices to con you into using God's power God gave you to authorize the devil to work against you. Did I lose anybody there? All right, we're going to see examples of this as we keep go on in this study. So recognize this. That's why God says here, count it all joy. You choose how you count it when, a, when you find yourself in various trials. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, so now we understand what the purpose of that trial is, is to test your faith. It's not to test your love, and that we're supposed to walk in love. It's not to test your knowledge, we're supposed to grow in our knowledge. It's to test your faith. The trying of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. That word in Greek literally means that your feet are planted and not easily moved. And what did we see we're supposed to be maturing towards? Exactly that. So that we're not tossed around to and fro by every wind of doctrine. 
And so as we take our faith in the middle of these trials, every trial in your life right now is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. Because what we're talking about is the way we grow in Christ is by, first of all, feeding on His Word. Not just reading it, feeding on it. That requires reading it and meditating on it. Meditate is muttering to yourself. You talk to yourself. Some of you do that anyway already. You just need to talk God's Word to yourself. And I'm, I, you know, it's a habit I used to have and I'd gotten away from it. And as I began this study, I realized I've stopped meditating on God's Word. I've stopped talking to myself God's Word. So I've started to go back and do that again. It takes a while to develop that habit because it is a habit. So when I catch myself, I'll start talking to myself again, just saying scriptures to myself over and over and over again and over and over and over again. Say, well, I'm not sure I believe it. That's okay. Just keep saying them. Faith comes by hearing. Just keep saying it to yourself. It's better than saying what you were saying anyway. So speak the word to yourself because you'll listen to yourself faster than you'll listen to me or anybody else. So speak the word to yourself. So that's how you begin to feed on the word, but then the next phase of that is you have to, have to act on that word. You have to obey that word. And that's what we're talking about. You have to apply that word. So understand this, that those trials that have come in your life have come to test your faith. They didn't come from God necessarily, but He wants you to exercise your faith against that trial. Apply your faith against that trial. Apply the word that you've been meditating on. Now there's an opportunity to exercise that. The trying of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. If any of you lacks wisdom, he goes on to say, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally or generously and who will not reproach you. But here's the condition. You go, just right on in James 1. You must ask in faith, nothing doubting. And that's the key. You must ask in faith. So when you, when you stand against the circumstances, it must be in faith and you cannot allow doubt in. Now understand this, when you start doing this, you'll fail. You'll let it in. But don't quit then. Just get back up again and say, my purpose is to learn how to stand on God's Word and not allow doubt in. Because it, it, you've got to start with it's possible to not doubt. Because the Word of God would not tell us not to doubt if, if it were impossible for us not to doubt. Because that's the beginning. If you don't think you can come to the place where you don't doubt, then you'll never get there. But if God has, and this is the first good test of this, if God says don't doubt, then obviously it's possible for us to grow to the place where we don't doubt. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus grabbed a hold of Jairus when he found out his daughter was dead and says, don't fear, only believe. Well, I'm sure it was running through Jairus' mind, well, I have to fear, my daughter's dead. But Jesus said, don't! And what we're learning is, in the circumstances of our life, when we're faced with the reality of these circumstances, we have a choice. Which am I going to believe? What God says about it, or what my mind and everybody else says about it? That's a choice I have to make. And that's our whole point in this study. And that will determine whether you are steadfast and unmovable and mature or whether you're still immature and easily brought about. Because he goes on to say, he said, for the one who doubts is like the wind driven by the sea. Doesn't that sound like Ephesians 4, which says, no longer be children tossed about by every wind of doctrine? And what we shared with you is when you're tossed around by the wind... If you're a boat, I was sharing with somebody the other night again. I had a story where I was, you know, had a small boat, was out in the middle of Narragansett Bay, and I hit a rock under the water, and it sheared off my, the, the drive shaft. So suddenly I'm out there without any power. And now I'm at the mercy of the wind and of the t- tides and of the current. And I no longer have control. I'm being tossed around. 
And when we're immature, we're no longer... See, God has something for you to do. God wants you to be an overcomer in this life. The Bible's full of promises to those who will overcome. Revelation talks about the blessings and the rewards to those who overcome. So God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to overcome. The best picture of that is, is in, 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 in Matthew, where we see the story of Peter who's walking on the water in the middle of a terrible storm that was sinking the boat. He's walking on the water. That's overcoming. God wants you to not only walk over the circumstances, but walk over all the power of the enemy so that you can accomplish what God's called us to do. But if the circumstances of life stop us, if the circumstances of life distract us, if the circumstances of life cause us to panic, then we will never finish what God causes us to do because the enemy will use those to stop you. And Paul is another great example of that because if you read through the epistles, especially First and Second Corinthians, and you see some of the things the Apostle Paul went through, and yet at the end of his life he said, I finished my course, I ran my race. In other words, all those things that came against him, being thrown in prison, five times being beaten with 39 lashes, being thrown several times shipwrecked in the middle of the sea, having every, his entire team desert him at one point. And at the end of his ministry, one whole continent that he ministered to quit. But was he discouraged? No, because he'd done what he was called to do. Amen. He'd been faithful to what he was called to do. Amen. And he, the reason he was able to do that is he'd learned what we're learning now. He'd learned what we're learning now. The end of, I'm just going by the Spirit this morning. I'm way off my notes. Uh, the end of Romans chapter 8, he says, he says, For I'm confident of this one thing, that, that uh, I've lost the Scripture. <laughs> that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come shall ever be able to separate you from the love of God. He said, I'm convinced of this. He didn't come be convinced of this sitting in a study reading scriptures. He was convinced of this because of the experiences of his life. With every trial that came against him, every opposition that came against him, he decided to take God's word or what God had said and apply it in that situation. And he watched the word of God hold true. And every time that happened, he grew in his confidence in God, he grew in his trust in God, and he grew in his knowledge of God. You cannot know God beyond the level of your faith. I'm going to say that again. You cannot know God intimately and that's what he wants for you, beyond the level of your faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because then it goes on and says what pleases him. For in order to come to God, that's what pleases him. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you will only come to him to the degree that you believe that he exists and to the degree that you believe he will answer your prayer. And so the more you grow in faith, the more you see God's word, God honor his word in your life, the more you will trust him. The more you trust him, the more you'll give of yourself to him. The more you give of yourself to him, the more you'll know him. It's a process. But you cannot do it apart from faith. You cannot let your faith go and relax your faith and develop a close, intimate relationship with God. You may think you are, but you're growing. Listen carefully. You're growing in an image you have of God in your mind. You're not growing in a relationship with the true and the living God. Just as the children of Israel, while Moses was on the mountain, they built a calf of gold and worship that. And they didn't worship that calf and call it Baal or Satan. They worshiped that calf and called it God and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They formed their own image of what God was like. Why? 
because they were not willing to enter into what God was calling them to, which was the base of the mountain, so that they could know him personally. So that's what this is really all about. So James goes on and says, because when you allow doubt in, when you look at God's word and then you become a double-minded man, he goes on to say, double-minded means to be of two minds about one thing. So let's say, for instance, you've got, a, a, you've got a, an unexpected bill comes up and you're looking at your checkbook and you have more month than, than money. You've got more bills than you've got bills, <laughs> dollar bills. And, and you, you, you look at your mind and says, there's no way we can make it. But God's word says, if you give me the first tenth, the tithe, if you give me the first tenth, the tithe, in Malachi 3, we'll talk more about this later, he says, come and test me and prove me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. The time you need to tithe the most is when you have the least. Because you see, when you choose to obey God's word on tithing, that requires you to trust him at a level that's outside. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to give him the first 10%. You know, we want to give him, well, I'll give him what's left over. That's not what he requires. He requires your best. But when you do that, what will happen is now you put yourself in a position because you have to make a choice. See, it doesn't make sense to my brain to give when I don't have enough. All I got's this much. I know it because I can see it. That's all I got coming in. And now this unexpected bill, so now I've got less. It makes no sense. But God's word says, if you put me first, then I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing I cannot contain, you cannot contain. God's word says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things you need. And he's talking about the practical, natural things of life. If you read the con, all these things will be added unto you, but you've got to put me first. Yes. Amen. I remember one time I was at a, at a, at a, a meeting. Uh, a, a, it was a camp meeting. And, and I, we were, we were not ma- I was not making enough to meet our needs at that time. And it was because of some stupid decisions I made. It wasn't because God did anything led me the wrong way. I didn't listen to him. I listened to myself. And I'm sitting there, and, I'm, and God spoke to me and told me, and I know this was God, so you don't do this unless you know it was God. He said, I want you to take your entire paycheck this week and put it in this offering. And I went, that couldn't have been God, because don't you understand? I have bills to pay. He says, I want you to put that entire paycheck in. And I know enough to know if I think about it, I won't do it. So I, with trembling hands, wrote out the amount of that paycheck and put it in. I don't remember what day it was, but the next day I go in to work, they moved my office from out of a broom closet to the largest office in the, in the, in the law firm at the time. And within a week, I got a raise that doubled what I was making. Now, does that mean if you do something like that, it'll happen to you? Well, first of all, God spoke to me. And now I got a choice. Do I obey what God said? Or do I rely on my thinking? See, if I start thinking too much, then I start getting over here. I know God said that's over here. But now I start thinking and I become double-minded. And he goes on to say in James 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In all his ways. Now go with me to Genesis 3. We went there last week, but it won't hurt to go back.
Now, you're at Genesis 3. I want to read to you what God says in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, the Lord God said, so this is God's word, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally in the Hebrew it says, In dying you shall die. Now, let's go to in chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not... Notice what he does. Has God indeed said... Notice what he attacks. And this is what I want you to see. We spent time last week talking about, you know, the atmosphere and how she gave him permission to talk and all this. I don't want to get into that because I'll get distracted this morning. But here's the point. They heard God's word. And he said, of every tree in the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for if you eat it, in dying you shall die. And what that refers to is there was a spiritual death, and then there was a physical death. Because when they ate of it, they died spiritually, which means they were separated from the presence of God, from the intimacy with God. It took over 900 years for that separation to catch up with their body and for their bodies to die. And so, so, so notice what Satan comes after. Remember, it's the trying of your what? Faith. It's the trying. And all faith is, is your confidence in what God said. That's all faith is, really, if you boil it down. It's confidence in what God said. It's believing God's character and nature, and therefore I believe His word over everything else that I see that may look contrary. And so that's what faith is, and it's the trying of that that produces this maturity and the steadfastness. Now we're going to see somebody whose faith is tried immediately. Look what Satan comes. Immediately he comes. We see this in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. The sower sows the seed, and Jesus said the seed is the word. Immediately Satan comes to steal the word the Word of God. Why? Because if that Word stays planted in the heart and you act on it, that Word will grow and produce fruit and he cannot stand that because he can't overcome that Word. That Word, that same Word of God is what sent him to where he's residing today. He's seen the power of that Word. He knows the power of that Word and he's scared to death of you getting a hold of the power of that Word, God's Word in your life on your tongue. That scares him. So everything in hell is aimed at stopping you from trusting God's word. And here we see a perfect example of it. The first words out of this serpent's mouth is to challenge whether God said that or not. Has God said? And notice, of course, we talked last week, the mistake she made is she tries to defend God. And that's not her responsibility, just as it's not your responsibility. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. Yes, you touch it and you shall die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not. Now he's getting bolder. Now he says, He's not questioning now. He's declaring, God lied to you. And that'll happen when you take a promise of God and you go to stand on that promise. You'll get thoughts come to your mind and they don't just come out of nowhere. They'll begin to get you to try to question whether that's the truth in your life. He'll use the circumstances. He'll use your senses. He'll use other people. 
And you'll be standing in faith for something and someone will say, well, how come you're doing this? And you'll say, you know, because God's word said, well, I know somebody that did that and died. Some dear sweet saint will come along and be a mouthpiece for some demon to try to steal that word out of your heart. So the serpent may have crept into the garden, but he'll try to creep into your mind and your heart through someone's mouth. You've got to be careful who you tell what you're going through. You've got to be careful. If you're going through some trial today or more than one, you've got to be careful who you tell about it. You want to only tell somebody who's going to believe that word as much as you do or more. Otherwise, how can they help you stand in it if they're not standing in it themselves? All they'll try to do is pull you down to their level of unbelief to justify what they're not doing. This is good. I need to hear this. (laughs) Satan comes immediately to steal the word, and he does it today just as he did back then. We looked over in Luke chapter 4 and we saw the story where Jesus is now filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tested. What was going to happen? Now this may shock your theology, but it's what it says. His faith was being tested. But he's the Son of God. Yeah, but he's now living in human flesh. See, temptation comes through our flesh through tiredness, through things we hear, through things we see. And God had never walked in flesh before. God is now walking in flesh. He's now empowered by the Spirit, and now He has to be tested. Tested doesn't mean to succeed or fail necessarily, to have what's in Him drawn out of Him. And what does Satan come to do? He comes and uses the Word of God. And he comes and says, after 40 days when he's he's hungry... And he says, if, if you are the Son of God, look at that, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, telling Jesus, if you, trying to get him to question who God said he is, then cause these stones to be turned into bread. Now, how did Jesus, how did, how did, how did Eve handle it? With her own reasoning. With her own, what? Reasoning. She got into her mind to figure out what to do instead of simply standing on and trusting in and obeying what God... God didn't tell her to defend him. God, See, we get in trouble because we go beyond what God said. Sometimes we're in trouble because we go short of what God says. Sometimes we get in trouble by going beyond God, what God said. All Jesus did was say, it is written. He simply stood, dug his heels in, what God, His Father, had said. And that's it. Because there's no answer for that. That's the ultimate answer for everything. And it says He took Him up on the pinnacle and showed Him all the things of the world. And He says, if you will just throw... You should throw yourself off here. Now Satan quotes Scripture to Him and says, and if you do that, Psalm 191 says, He will send His angels to give charge over you and pick you up and cast you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus says... It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he comes back a third time and says, all right. So he he doesn't quit right away. He's persistent because he knows what we're like. And he says, okay, 
He took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So he was the God of this world at that point because Satan, Adam had given it to him. Adam had been the God of this world. And then when he yielded to Satan, he turned, it his, turned his authority over to Satan. And now Satan is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's the God of this world. And so he now has it to give. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a temptation. And so he says, all the kingdoms of this world are here. I'll give them to you. Because he knew that Jesus had come back to take them away from him. So he says, I'll give them to you. You don't need to die. I'll give them to you. And he says, it is written. (laughs) It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. God said. I don't care what you say. God said. God said. God said. God said. Something comes up. Your first question is, what does God say about this? Some circumstances. I know what they're telling me. But what does God say about this? What does God say about this? What does God say about this? And when you find out what God says about it, out of your mouth comes, It is written! That's how you develop steadfastness. And that's how you develop maturing. And that's how you grow. But it doesn't happen apart from the challenges of life. It doesn't happen apart from them. Now we're going to begin to look at some examples of some people that did sometimes and some people that didn't sometimes. And we're going to see the difference in their lives. All right, let's turn over. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is an account written by Moses. The first generation has died off. We're going to go back and look at them. And the second generation has now grown up in the wilderness. They're standing at the edge of the Jordan River about to go over into the promised land that their fathers failed to go into. And we're going to look at them. But here's what I want you to see. This particular principle. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Every commandment which I command you today must be careful. So these are the instructions God has given them, giving them before they're going to go over into battle against other nations that are occupying the promised land. Every commandment which I command you today, look at this, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore or promised to your forefathers. So Moses is saying to them, God gave His word to your fathers that He would provide a way for for them to possess this land. We're going to see they didn't believe His promise. They were moved by the circumstances. Now this is the next generation that did not grow up in Egypt. They're facing the same obstacles that their fathers saw. And now God is going back over all of this with them and say, be careful to observe everything I've commanded you. In other words, do what I've said to do. Obey my word and you shall be able to possess the land that I promised to your fathers. Now he's going to show them how he got them to this place. And this is how God wants to get us to this place. Verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. He didn't beat them down and tell them they were a worthless bunch of garbage. 
Humble doesn't mean tearing down your image of who you are. Humbling is, humility is understanding how desperately you need God and God alone. True humility is recognizing what a great hotshot you are out on your own. And you know you've hit that place when you try, you stop trying to do it on your own. Because as long as you're still trying to do it on your own, you've got confidence in you. And that's pride. It's when we come to the place where we throw up our hands and say, I can't do it! And God's saying, I've been trying to get you there. Amen. Now you'll find out what I'll do through you and for you when you stop trying to do it yourself. There's just something in human nature. Well, it's that fallen nature that says, I've got to do it myself. Even when we mess up and we go to God, there's, we want to contribute something to our getting out of the mess. So we can take a little bit of credit and have a little sense of control I was talking with a relative the other day who's had a pattern in their life of, of, of getting in trouble, getting out, getting in trouble, getting out. And we talked about it is they're beginning to recognize the reason they would get into trouble, and it's not trouble with the law. I mean, they just get in financial trouble. is because they had tremendous confidence because they'd always been able to get themselves out of it before. See, if you have confidence you can get your... This is free. This is good. If you have confidence that you can get yourself out of something, then you won't be as determined not to get into it. Well, I've gotten out of it before, so I don't have to be careful about it now. I don't need to be careful with a budget and how whether I'm spending enough because I, I was at somebody, you know, I got a loan and got, I got out of it last time. I was able to refinance my house and got out of it last time. I was able to do this and get out of it last time. And what you're doing is you're building up a thought pattern in your mind that somehow I'll figure a way to get out of it. And it is an illusion. It's a deception. Because what's happening is the devil's trying to lead you to the place where he's got you. It's, it's like the mouse getting smelling the cheese and he chose the cheese and said, I could smell it, but I could still get away. I could smell it, I could still get away. He sticks his nose once too often, too close. He's not getting away this time. And so God, the humility is recognizing, I can't do this without him. And that's when he says, I humbled you. It wasn't he beat them down and told them they were worthless. He was showing them how much they needed him. And that's what God wants to show us, how much we need him. So he humbled you, verse 3, and allowed you to hunger. He didn't starve them. Hunger means they didn't get to eat what they wanted to eat. They ate his menu. God had a menu already arranged for them for these 40 years. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Now let's stop here because I want you to understand. Some of you have already had the background, but some of you may not. What happened is when they got into the wilderness, this first generation, what happened was, was God's, they got out in there three days and discovered that the, they'd run out of water. So they found a, a, a stream. And they went over there and they tasted the water and it was bitter. It was brackish. It was too hard to drink. So their first reaction was to go to Moses and complain, why did you bring us out here to die? And we're going to look at them. Maybe not today, but we'll look at that generation and see how they handled God's word and the circumstances. But here's what I want to see here, the training God was preparing for them. And, and so God then, he changed, God tells him, take your rod, stuck, truck, stuck, well, start over again, John. Take the rod, strike the water, put it in the water, and pull it out. And when he did, the water turned sweet and they were able to drink it. And, 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 and then God tells Moses to tell the people, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, they're out in the wilderness. There's no McDonald's. There's no Shaw's. There's no, you know, there's no uh, BJ's. There's no place to go get food. And that's a major problem when you've got somewhere between two and five million people. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. Every morning when you get up, you'll find there's dew on the ground. 
And in that dew, you're going to find this substance that's like dough. And you go and collect one day's worth. And when you collect that one day's worth, that will be enough for today to make your bread. But if you try to collect two days' worth, here's what's going to happen. The second bunch is going to rot. And what God wanted to teach them was every day they were to trust that he would provide for them that day. Because if you collect two days' worth, it's because I'm not sure he's going to do it tomorrow. So I want to know I got it in my hands today what I'm going to need tomorrow so that I don't have to trust what he said. I can trust what I see. Then really, to nail it down, he said, and here's what you're going to do. On the sixth day, you are to collect two days' worth. He was going to show him that he could make two days' worth last. And it will not rot because on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, you're not to go collect any. So here they have six days where if they collect two, if they collect more than one day, the second day rots. But then on the sixth day, they can collect two days. In fact, they're supposed to, and it won't rot then. What they're finding out is it will either rot or not rot. It will either be there or not be there based on what God said. What God's training them is, I want you to learn by experience. See, they're, notice they're not learning it in church. They're not learning it just because they oh, this is so good. They're not learning it just because they're hearing it. They're going to learn it by hearing it and then doing it. And God's will is for them to grow and mature to the point that when they come to the promised land and He tells them, you can take that land I've given you, even though there are enemies in there, even though there are giants in there, the enemies and the giants and the distractions will not stop them from doing what God's will is for them because they've been trained to not be moved by the circumstances because they've been trained to be moved only by what God said. Ooh, that hurt. (laughs) So that's the background here. Now they've come through that training. And sometimes when you're going through training, you don't understand the lesson until you get to the end. Remember that old movie, The Karate Kid? I just was one, it was one of those images that's forever fixed in my mind because it's a great sermon. You know the story, you know, he came to this, this, this master, uh, karate master, because some kid was bullying him, and convinced the master finally to train him. So he shows up the first day for training, and the master hands him a bucket of paint and a paintbrush. He says, I got a fence out there, I need painting. He says, Here's how you do it. You take the paintbrush, you go up and you go down. You go up and you go down. He does it all day long, up and down, up and down. He comes in, has to correct him, because he's going, he says, Not side, side, up, down, up, down. And he says, This is stupid. So he comes back the next day, and he says, I don't know, we had to sand a, 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 a deck. He says, and this is how you do it. You take sand, you go this way, and then you go this way. You go this way, and then you go this way. And he comes out, and at one point he's going like this. He says, no, no, you go this way, and you go this way. And I forgot what the third thing was. Wax on and wax off. Okay, he's waxing his car. That's right. Okay. There you go. You know that stuff. And finally he comes to him, and he says, look, I came here. And I wanted you to teach me karate. And all I've done is serve you. Isn't that interesting? All I've done is serve you, and I've painted your fence, and I've sanded your deck, and I've polished your car. I haven't learned anything. And the karate master comes out and goes, Yeah, I like this. And the kid does all these reactions he didn't know he could do. 
He didn't know that by this drudgery of day in and day out, oh, I got to read my Bible today. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Oh, I got to meditate in God's Word. I don't feel like meditating in God's Word. Oh, now I got this circumstance. I don't know I got to do this. I don't know what I got to do this. Suddenly a circumstances rise up and what happens is you don't react the way you did before. I had a situation in my life about 25 years ago where I had a condition. It wasn't fatal, but I couldn't get rid of it. I had pills. I, could, I would break out in hives. I don't mean little things. I mean they were called giant hives. And I might be in court, and suddenly there'd be an itching at the bottom of my foot, and within five minutes, the whole bottom of my foot was swollen, and I couldn't stand on it. And they gave me medicine to take for it, and it would knock it out, but it would knock me out for a day. It would stop it, because if you didn't stop it, it would throw, close my throat off. So it had to be addressed. And I would dealt with that and dealt with that and dealt with that. I tried to stand in faith. I tried to say nothing worked, nothing worked. And I'm in one Bible school, a faith school. And it's still happening to me. Finally, one day I drew a line. I said, God, this is, you know, one of these, either I got to go, either that's got to go, or I got to go. We got to solve this. It was so simple, the answer he gave me. He says, just take one verse. It was Hebrews, it was Romans 8.32. That's why it's my favorite verse. And every moment, your mind doesn't have to be doing something else. You go over that verse and over that verse and over that verse. And I, I said, I'm not sure I can do this. He said, that was his answer. So I decided to literally take God at his word. So I started doing that. Go to bed at night. I was, every moment I was not thinking of something else. Didn't have to. I was going over Romans 8.32. He spared not his own son, but delivered up for us all. How we also with him, together with him, freely give us all things. That's not a healing scripture, but that's the scripture God gave me. And about a week later, I got that itching feeling and it started to grow. I'm I'm just doing it. I don't feel any different. I don't feel stronger. I don't feel like I'm a man of faith. I'm just doing what God said to do. And about a week or so later, one of these things started coming up. And I don't remember what I spoke out, but I opened my mouth to speak to it, and it startled me. The power and the authority that came out of me, I mean, it startled me. And it was like the karate kid. And that thing stopped instantly and never came back. He humbled them. Now look, here's where we're going to go with this. Verse 3. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God or the Lord. Man does not live alone, by by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's saying, I was training you so that you would know, not intellectually, but that you would know by experience that it would be ingrained in you that when I, you have my word on something, it doesn't matter what things look like, it doesn't matter what enemy comes against you, my word, you will live by my word and not by what the circumstances say. Amen. We are coming to a point in this nation and with the church in general where we are facing things that we may never have faced before. Not that the church in general has never faced before, but that the church in this age has never, in this generation has not faced before. You know, we think we're going through hard times, but you look back in history and some people have gone through a whole lot more than we're going through right now. Right now. 
But if you look at the scriptures and you see where things are headed, they're not headed to get better. They're headed to get worse. If we go, if there is any part of the tribulation we go through, I don't believe we do, but there's teaching out there that supports we do. But if we not, I don't think the tribulation is just going to suddenly come. I think it's going to build up. Then we've got to know how in the midst of this situation when all the news says that the economy is falling apart, and, 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 and it is. I mean, you know, I, you, in our lifetime, almost all of us, we've seen the Iron Curtain fall down. I was raised when that was not, didn't seem possible. And I always remember in high school going up. And the idea that an entire world power would disappear overnight was astounding. Things can change. They don't actually change quickly, but they manifest quickly. Don't be lulled into thinking the way things are, the way things are always going to be. The thing, way we've been able to get things is the way we're always going to be able to get things. Treasure the time when you can go to a store and just see, I don't know, there are about 14 brands of, of, of uh bread here. Which one do I want? There are other parts of the world they don't have that. I've been in some of them. Some of you have been in some. Some of you came from some of them. That can happen here. I'm not trying to scare you, but we have to be prepared. And not with great contingency plans of survival out of here, but God's way. And God's way is this way. Because when you start preparing those things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use common sense about things, but I'm saying, you know, there's, there's, there's alarmists out there and survivalists out there. I've heard of a church that the pastor is preaching them, everybody to get a, a gun, a license to carry a gun. That preaches fear. The Word of God does not tell me to defend myself with a gun. It does not tell me to trust in a gun or a Uzi or something else to enter into the way the world's dealing with things. The Word of God tells me to take God's Word and trust in God's Word. Psalm 91 is God's Word. If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, I will save the Lord. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my God in whom I trust. You stand upon God's Word. There are stories that came out of 9-11 that are, reinforce all that. But you don't go there from just, I read God's Word you know, every once in a while, or I even read my Bible every day. You get to that place by taking God's Word in the situations of your life right now. This is training ground. This is painting the fence. What you're dealing with right now is up and down, wax on, wax off, left and right, whatever the, whatever the things were. That's the training ground now for what is coming. And it's learning to do what God was training them, to learn that man does not live by the natural things. Man does not live by what Shaw's is able to provide. Man does not live what by Bank America, the loan Bank American can give you. Man does not, you don't need those things to survive. God, you'll, God will use those things now. I'm not saying, you know, stop eating bread, for that reason at least. But, but God, but, but what we need to survive is God's Word. But it's not just having God's Word, it's being planted in that Word, rooted in that Word, and exercising that Word so when the trial comes, my, I'm not moved by CNN screaming and yelling at me. I'm not moved by what Fox News says. I'm not moved by my neighbors running up and down the street saying, Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because I go to God's Word. I may not know the answer, but I know where to find the answer. I may not, because you're not going to be able to do that. God's the only one that can get it. And He has promised He will. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or my seed out begging for Bread! I have never seen them. 
God said. When he said that, when David wrote that, see, God sees the end from the beginning. He was looking at you and me now also. It wasn't just David's time. I've never seen my seed. And we are the seed of Abraham. But God can have the provision for us. But if we're running around panicking because we've been trusting in our own understanding, then all the answers and provision are here, but we're being double-minded and unstable in all our ways. Let not that man, James says, expect that he will receive anything from God. That doesn't mean God's pulling it back, saying, look, you're not acting right. I'm not going to give it to you. No, you can't receive it because the only way to receive it is to be steadfastly immovable. Not only that, you'll find that in the middle, I've seen this in my life, and I don't have the time this morning to go through some of the stories. I've been in the middle of crises where there was no way out, and I turned to God's Word and declared God's Word in the middle of that situation, and I've watched the sky open up and answers come down. I've seen deliverance come like that from sources I never dreamed were possible. I've seen it happen financially. I've happened happened several times in a courtroom an entire case turned around in front of my eyes because I turned inside and said, God, what should I do here? What should I say? I have one case where he gave me a question to ask a witness. The judge had thrown the case out. Gave me a question to ask the witness. When I asked the question, the other side exploded in anger and the judge woke up and said, I want the answer to that question. Turned the entire case around. I didn't know that. My head was swimming because the judge had just thrown the case out. I've got lawyers telling me, do this, don't do this, do this, do that. I said, I can't listen to you. You don't know what to do, and I don't know what to do. I want to go talk to somebody that does. And I sat down at the end of the bench, and I said, God, I know you put this case in my lap for a reason. I need, I need you now. I need you to tell me what to do. And I had to get at peace and be still and know that he's still God. I had a situation happen where our family was, was, had to get back to Bible school and, and we were running late, not because of our fault. We were, it was not our fault. We were running late. We arrived at Logan Airport and there was a line of people. Go, this is before 9-11. All this, this is back 20, almost 30 years ago. There's a line of people from here to the parking lot to get in the door. I didn't, forgot that it was the end of the Christmas vacation. wasn't thinking of that. And our flight leaves in an hour. And we have four kids, two of them in strollers. And I'm standing there saying, God, there's no in my mind, I want to say there's no way. And I said, God, you've sent us to school. We, if we're not back tomorrow, okay, we get demerited. I've done my best to get here on time for whatever reason. We were not able to get here on time. And now we're faced with, I don't know what in the world we're going to do, but I know you have an answer and I'm not going to worry about it. And I stood there. No sooner did I say that. I just said this inside of myself. I heard, because our first flight went through St. Louis, I heard somebody in the back saying, anybody on the St. Louis flight? I turned around and raised my hand. I said, yes, we are. And I got four kids. He said, come here. They parted everybody, and we walked right on through and walked right on the plane and sat down there with time to spare, not sweating, not having done the, 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 you know, the, the, the O.J. Simpson through the airport. Remember that? You know? I, just, I just walked through in peace. Now, there have been times I didn't do that, and I let my mouth run. We're never going to make And guess what? It didn't happen. It is written. 